0: This podcast is for educational or entertainment purposes only. This podcast is not to be a substitute for seeking mental health therapy, mental health treatment, if necessary. If you or your loved one is in need of mental health services, please call 911. Please contact mobile Crisis. For those outside of the U.S., please contact your emergency services or go to your nearest hospital thank you and enjoy the podcast social workers mental health professionals and change agents welcome to another episode of season six of the social work ranch podcast i'm your host bash moreno saludos a todos greetings everybody thank you for tuning in tapping in wherever you are watching or listening to this podcast uh, thank you for everybody for your support apoyo. Um, wherever you are watching you watch on youtube or listen to any audio platform uh, definitely continue to follow the podcast on all social media uh, started with Instagram at the, so- the social work Rants podcast. That's all one word. Follow the podcast on Twitter at social work France all one word and hit the like button on Facebook, AKA meta uh, type in the social work Rants podcast and hit that like button. And of course on YouTube, uh, hit that red subscribe button. So, Thank you for tuning in and tapping in. This episode is brought to you by Bass City Entertainment, your home for online holistic self-care featuring poetry and online Zumba classes. The first Zumba class of 2023 coming Sunday, February 19th at 12 p.m. Go to BassMoreno.com for your tickets. and It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, in Dallas, Texas. I'll be at Dallas, Texas for Latinx and Social Work Summit. Uh, featuring the book, uh, my fellow co-authors of the bestseller, Latinx and Social Work Volume 2, we'll be doing a, a summit, so I'll put the tickets, the link to the tickets in the show notes, Dallas, we we, we are coming, so, um, I, as you know, uh, this is my think, second, third episode, I'm talking about school, social work, uh, we have a wonderful, talented social worker, Alyssa, coming from chicago finally got got shy town i think I, I finally able to check off illinois as one of my one of my states <laughs> i try i i want to interview a all uh a social worker in, in every state that's that, that's my goal so <laughs> right. so um you no, know, chicago's been you know hot market uh you know we hear on the news all the time about the violence has been happening the uh the mayor, who, um, if you the, the the saying goes, "All skin folk, ain't kin folk, whatever that saying is," I think she uh, ranks in, in the top, <laughs> right? Uh, from the from just watching the news, and I like to not just get all my facts from the news. I like to boots on the ground. So, uh, what better way than have a school social worker in the great city of Chicago? Alyssa, how you doing?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm doing well. Yeah, excited to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you, you come on, and if there's some uh, brief technical difficulties we're <laughs> rocking and rolling. Uh, but I think I struck a nerve with, with the, talking about the mayor. I mean, we, we'll get into it. But <laughs> yep,
1: Chicago's great to work in. <laughs>
0: So, um, for, for those uh, who who don't know who you are, or what you do in wonderful a wonderful field of social work, interesting field, uh, let people know who you are, what you do.
1: Yeah, so, um, again, my name is Alyssa. I am a certified school social work specialist within the Chicago Public Schools Um district. I have been an employee for the district for, this is my sixth year, so rounding out the end of my sixth year as we head in to June. Um, I work right now with kindergarten through eighth grade students that have general education and what we call resource or separate setting um uh, special education services. Um, I have also worked in what we call significantly modified curriculum classrooms supporting life skills and foundational um, functional communication skills for kids pre-K through eighth grade. And I also worked at a specialty school for medically fragile students. Um, for students at that time were kindergarten through fifth grade. So those were students that had a wide variety of medical needs um, as well as social emotional needs. Um, and I'm also a Chicago Teachers Union um, delegate so I am working actively within my union to create a sustainable model of schools for both not only just educators um, and our schools but also our students so yeah that those are what I do in my school role for the most part oh and I do bilingual assessments for pre-k students and early intervention students as they transition into preschool.
0: (laughs) In in other words you can't wait till June to enjoy your summer (laughs) vacation.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm excited for June. We're excited, but yeah, th- so that's my day to day is uh, citywide assessments, K through eight school social worker, and then CTU delegate.
0: Hmm? I, I think I just got some burnout just listening to all that. <laughs> How do you do all that? Like, like what is what is the day in day out look like for you?
1: Um. First, no two days are alike. So within the city of Chicago and the way that it works is we are all assigned we are considered citywide district employees so i am an employee of a district i am not tied directly to a school i am assigned to a homeschool um and i work in a absolutely amazing school with an incredibly supportive admin i am extremely lucky and extremely blessed um i work with um a wide variety of different teachers and different ages of teachers and then um so that is what i do monday Tuesday, Wednesday and Friday. And so I work right now, I have 50 students on my direct service caseload on top of helping to serve the social emotional tier one and tier two support. So anywhere from an additional 50 to 80 kids in a single week that I'm supporting as we go through it. Um, I do goal implementation for students in special education, building foundational um, life skills, functional life skills, functional communication, social, emotional expression, coping skills, and all of that. I do trauma work. Um, Trying to think of some of the other things that I do. I do artwork. I do like art therapy. I am not a certified art therapist though, but I have some techniques that we do with students, Um, a lot of play-based assessments and therapies. Um, And then on Thursdays, I work with a bilingual team and we are a team of all clinicians, psychologists, social worker, Speech and language pathologist, um, occupational therapist, physical therapist, case manager, special education teacher. And we assess um two-year-olds that got early intervention services that were identified through the state um, as needing develop as meeting developmental delay criteria in some capacity. Were are given some type of services. We assess to see if they need special education and/or a special education preschool classroom. Um, and then we write the IEP and we do all the assessments in three hours. And I do two of those. Um, on Thursdays with my team in Spanish, and then we translate out in English to those of our teammates who don't speak Spanish. And then once a month, I meet with the Chicago Teachers Union delegates at our House of Delegates meeting. Um, The other month, I do a joint action committee with the Chicago Public Schools, as well as the Teachers Union for um, Special Education Services, and how can we make the more sustainable and how do we improve our practice as a whole, um, as well as holding the district accountable to making sure that we are getting the resources that our students need. Um, yeah. And then I am also preparing to maybe try and see if I want to do like private practice on the side eventually, <laughs> but that is what my day-to-day looks like um, on any given day. I'm running anywhere from four individual sessions to include then maybe three or four group sessions with groups um, of students for two to five kids at max. So yeah, you name it, I'm doing it in one day.
0: <laughs> wow. D- just the, the IEPs alone is, um, you know, fascinating and you know, to translate. By being a bilingual social worker is like, <laughs> it's just, I, it's, I think it's like another level of of burnout that uh, that doesn't get talked about as mm-hmm. as much you know in our field like it, it is taxing, it is a lot of work. No, obviously, you know uh, immigration's been a huge topic for a long, long time and we still having people migrate day in, day out. And I know what I was working as a school social worker, they're coming in literally fresh, not even couple weeks into the country and try to set up, you know, register for school, register the kids for school and and just kind of give the lay of the land of what the district is about and get resources then try to then finding out that they can't read in Spanish. So now you got to do like figure out how to like, like for me, I like I was a, a district school social worker. So I had to do like home visits on top of that and go see. Go see the parents or, or try to see the parents and let them know what's going on in in, in the district so could because they can't get read or write in in their native language so it's there's a lot <laughs>
1: yeah yeah and I think it's definitely gotten even more interesting um at least in the city of Chicago so we have seen an influx in um Ukrainian students since um the Ukraine and Russian conflict has started so we have seen schools that are kind of on the edge of the city. um, And we have a neighborhood called Ukrainian Village. Um, We have seen those areas kind of boom with students that are coming and their families are coming directly from Ukraine um, and having to meet their needs, enrolling them, giving them a wide variety of services. Um, And then as well as we um, have been one of the cities that have been um, sent the buses up from Texas and from Florida. Um, and so we have had an also an even larger influx of our Spanish speaking um, families and immigration um, that have immigrated from various parts of social uh, social uh, Central America, South America, um, and Mexico, and just trying to meet their needs um, because obviously we all know that that uh, that journey to get here is not an easy one. And if you're a child going through that, how do you support that as well as that language barrier?
0: Right.
1: Um, and how do we just like start from scratch, how do you get these families everything that they need and also make them feel like the school is here to support them. And it's not like we're criticizing them or like judging them for whatever means and whatever reasons they are here now. Um, And so we're also lucky we're a sanctuary city. So we don't have to worry about having any type of conversation centered around status or anything like that. It's like, as long as you have the documentation, we are here and we are um, open arms and we are willing to accept and help our students.
0: Well, well that i mean that that is great for uh, being a sanctuary city and, and providing providing that has because obviously with you know the immigration is always a fear of deportation and I kind of deal with that at my a little bit of my role where, where I'm at now and working with a lot of immigrants uh from South America and also from from haiti uh, so yeah I, 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 I definitely see that so um man it's like you really you really need I think that President's Day weekend can I, cannot I come soon enough for you and, <laughs> yeah, we, and Memorial Day weekend can't come soon enough but, so. spring
1: break is in the uh, spring break is before that yeah oh, no, yes <laughs> we're good at uh making sure that we take advantage of those break times because they're definitely earned for all of the educators in my district and I'm sure across the country and further but for yeah we're we're ready for our three day weekend coming up
0: <laughs> uh, so I, t- I touched on like all the uh, when we see all the news all, all the gun violence that's been happening in in Chicago and the mayor occasionally does a good thing and then like kind of like <laughs> it's like one step forward and like Five step backwards, depending who who you ask. But from from your perspective, you're you know, working and living in Chicago. Like what? Like what's the what's the real deal that that that's going on in the city?
1: Yeah, I think um Chicago by nature is incredibly segregated as well. Um, we have a long history of what used to be redlining and just um staying within the culture and community that felt comfortable for you and most welcoming for you. So. I think when you're talking to anybody from the city of Chicago, knowing where they live is incredibly powerful um, as well as how much they actually know and how many other people they know throughout the city. I grew up on the North side. So I live two blocks away now from Wrigley fields where the Cubs play. I have always grown up in this neighborhood. Um, But I went to Whitney young, which is kind of now in what we call this area, the West loop, it was not the West loop when I went to high school. Um, but then like, I was able to meet peers that lived across the entire city. Um, and I mean, you know, the Hallmark Inglewood which is where you typically hear a lot of that violence, um, West Garfield Park, North Lawndale, Hyde Park, um, just like all of these different neighborhoods that have different voices and different needs. Um, I would be lying to say that the the violence is, um, not portrayed accurately in the news I think you guys as a country right you hear about these like hallmark weekends where you hear oh x amount of things happen this happened this happened this happened and that Mm -hmm. unfortunately in some neighborhoods is just like the weekly norm um a lot of it for us when I get text messages from friends I went to school out in Jersey I went to Rutgers um and I have friends that will text me and be like oh my god is everything okay and i'm like yeah it was a normal weekend like i'm not exactly sure why the news decided that this was the weekend they were going to highlight it
0: right
1: <laughs> a certain weekend i don't even know um but we definitely as a district feel the impact of that um i myself have lost students to the gun violence um in the city i have worked with colleagues um even this year who have lost students um and just learning how to rally around that but also how do you support your school community when you lose someone? We've lost educators this year um, to the gun violence in the city. Um, so how do you turn around on Monday knowing your colleague is no longer there uh, and then have to up- uplift and hold a school together in that same time? Um, and so I, I, I think what I have learned in my practice as a school social worker is that um, grief work is an incredibly powerful um, and incredibly difficult And it was something that I definitely took for granted and didn't do enough work when I was like, as an intern, it didn't really like, I didn't really internalize it. I didn't really focus much on it. I was hyper-focused on working with kids and, you know, trying to get all of that experience. And on the back end of that, starting my career, I had to do a lot of um, education around how do you work with grief and how do you work with traumatic grief? Uh, How do you support that in real time? Because I don't think a textbook um is really gonna ever do what you need to to walk into a building knowing that um a student passed or that a parent of a student passed um and i have many colleagues that i have worked with and other school buildings um that we have sustained those losses and we continue to sustain them and how do we work towards actually um Making the city a better place so that we are not doing that on a weekly basis, because it is is it it is a weekly basis in some places. Um, and then how are we also empowering those communities to take advantage of services to kind of support um, sustainability in those neighborhoods and making it a better place where people can have access to more things to feel more comfortable. So yeah, it's, a, it's very nuanced. I think working in the city of Chicago, you have to be prepared to advocate and advocate very hard. Um, for what your students need. And that means that the school is, you know, it's up there as a priority, but the community being um, really given the resources necessary to allow school to be just a school building. um, I think that is definitely something that a lot of us take to heart. Um, Our kids don't just come to school just to learn anymore. Some of them are using it as a safe haven as a meal plan um Mm -hmm. a lot more than what is just basic teaching and it's not basic teaching by any stretch of the imagination because miracles (laughs) every day yes um but they're doing much more than that and then you know when you're one person in a building with 500 kids or 900 kids how do you meet the needs of all of those kids plus all of the teachers you
0: you said you said a lot and i just want to like break that down number one my condolences for you know dealing with all that all that grief um kind of it's kind of hitting home for me because I I had to deal with that Mm -hmm. during COVID and losing clients and making those phone calls to family members and offering condolences like left and right like it was (laughs) a crazy time um and then Like how, like, how do you like deal with that while still, while still working?
1: I go to therapy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I am, I shout out to all the therapists of the therapists. Yeah, I do a really, I have a very strong self-care routine and everybody that knows me will tell you that I don't think self-care is like some luxury. It is a discipline. It is an art form and it is ever an ever evolving practice and journey um i have to set very firm boundaries with myself and that that some days can be really hard um so i go to the gym i have a trainer that i'm fortunate enough that works with me i have my therapist i have my my support system and my colleagues and we create spaces that we can talk but then we also create spaces where it's we're not talking about this anymore we have to be more than just um a social worker or an educator in a school building we've got to we've got to lean into other parts of ourselves um, and I think that is how you just learn to make it sustainable as you learn how to build boundaries around it and find ways to cope with some of those really heavy moments that happen.
0: no yeah. um and I'm glad you have you have that that support system. Um, the other thing that struck me was, um, I follow this uh, principal he's in my in my native uh, Bronx, uh, He's actually the principal of one of the elementary schools I used to go to. Uh, and he talks a lot about you know community work and bringing the community together. and he'll he'll literally call up the the housing project across the street from and if he knows like the the elevators not working, like he knows he's those those kids that live in that building are not coming to coming to school. and so obviously with with attendance, you no know, you no know, rates and stuff like that that he's responsible for, he's like, I'm calling, like you know, you're affecting my community, my school community, but you're affecting the community as a whole. So he'll literally reach out, contact, you know, the, whoever owns the the building, like, hey, like when are you gonna fix the elevator, or, or he does a lot of stuff within the community, like, you know, coat drives and things like that. So the, you you mentioning what you mentioned, it kind of reminds me of him of what what he's doing for not only in school community but just the, the community surrounding the the school so uh just just the parallel similar you, you just reminded me of him
1: yeah i think new york and chicago as long as as well as a lot of other districts have a lot of parallels where uh educators who thought they were going into a building just to teach and or you know support the educators in that building that is not and it's not the case. It's a much more nuanced conversation when we're talking about um our students and their needs and what their families need to to get to school and to make it through a school day.
0: Now, I know that I know uh SEL is a big topic. Um and I kind of like COVID kind of like highlighted even more, and I noticed teachers who've been in uh, a teacher forever <laughs> put it that way they're like uh, you know not against it but it's like you have these trainings and you know, the PD days and, and I don't think the schools in, in, in general maximize those PD days and really do the trainings that they're supposed to do The kind of you know schools kind of like kind of went back to like pre-pandemic or like a homework is this and that and it's like but like these we just went through a whole pandemic people kids are like grieving losses people are like are hungry people like kids are not having wi-fi in their house and, and or it doesn't matter what service cable service you have like no wi-fi is going to work in their house to to do their work and it's like coming back to school and and first year back in the school building full time and mass and unmass and winter break, we're gonna do mass for two weeks and this and that. But going back to the teachers is like I, I saw the, the old school teachers as well not wanting to or kind of hesitant to do SEL. Do you see that where you where you, where you work at?
1: Yeah, I think you see it across the district. I, I definitely have seen it in the schools that I have worked in since coming back from um remote learning right i i support more than one school sometimes and so i've seen it across a wide variety of schools i think uh, the shift to include social emotional learning is just different in a lot of ways because for a long time the idea of going to school was you sat in your desk for however many hours you took your tests you didn't you know there was no fighting back there was no talking back there was none of this and then you kind of get a bunch of students who either started their educational careers completely at home with their parents trying to make yeah. ends um and then there were students that just experienced so much um and like how do you how do you find a, a balance between that and I think um you definitely see who takes that work to heart and who maybe finds it more of the struggle. I think you can also see it in their classrooms and the way that it plays out in the rooms and the way that the different supports are ended up needed throughout the year in those classrooms. Um, And yeah, so I I definitely, we've definitely seen, you know, all ends of the spectrum of teachers who like kind of went all in and were like, super, super, super only about SEL. And then you were kind of like, yeah, that's, that's great. But like, we also do have to, to teach them how to make boundaries, right? Like, And you just letting them kind of do whatever they want in the classroom isn't working. And then we saw the exact opposite where teachers were like, well, nothing should be changed. So just like come to school and do what you got to do. And then trying to like get them to understand, you know, someone may need more time to to get through this, that social anxiety, anything. I mean, we're talking the spectrum of uh, mental health concerns that come back from being in a home environment. And so yeah, we we see it all for sure, and all of the different levels of where people want to actually meet it and don't want to meet it. So yeah,
0: yeah, that was, uh, that was fascinating to kind of sit back and, and and see that, and or having administrators be like, you know, hang out with a kid and be, kind of be like a babysitter, like no, I'm not I'm not here to babysit <laughs> babysit yeah. the kids, and like, all right, let try to figure out. With little resources, to figure out how to like do a session with a five-year-old that's like, and the school, the school setting is not appropriate. Uh, and I saw that like the first, the, my first meeting I was like, it's, kid, it's not supposed to be in the school, <laughs> like, and like no, and having that re- resistance from, from other staff and, and administrators, and it was like, <laughs> I, I was so dumb. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah or so like when you're looking at someone and you're like you're yelling at a five-year-old <laughs> It's still and like they've never gone to preschool like they have no understanding of what this thing called a classroom is like how do you teach that yeah. <laughs> like when, for them kindergarten was staring at a screen
0: yeah. and
1: it looks like youtube <laughs> like, and now the youtube character is actually a real teacher like <laughs> There's a difference there.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I think we, it, it, we, the school system in America is is in it for a long haul. We just <laughs> touching the surface as to as what co- the impact of COVID has had on on, on all the kids. Uh, oh
1: yeah,
0: from pre-K through through senior year or high uh, high school, even. Even in college too, so it's just uh, I I envy uh, everybody that works in the school. It's like. Yeah,
1: I don't know if we're still sane at this point, but we're trying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I I think you, you you can't be completely sane if, to work in the school, especially especially nowadays.
1: Yeah, <laughs> no, I would agree. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so talking to COVID, how how was that like? before you were working in school and then you no know, shutdown happened and, and, and doing the whole remote learning and coming back? What, what What was your experience like?
1: That was an experience. Um, So I think when you talk about the 2019-2020 school year in CPS, it is just a lot. Um, in October of 2019, so like that fall before COVID hit, Mm-hmm. Um, we were on strike for 11 days. And so that was like 11 school days. So that didn't include weekends. So it was three weeks where students were not in school. We were picketing and doing whatever. Um, so that disrupted instruction <laughs> for a while.
0: Why, why were you guys, why were you guys on, on strike?
1: That would take a whole other podcast. Than, or, <laughs> than or,
0: in or like a, a synopsis <laughs> of, of why. Cause, cause it's important because you yeah. know, you're the, you're the first... That that I've seen or heard that you know working the school and, and, and been on strike and sure I even picketed as a kid when when I was in school so oh I, I I know I know uh, a little bit uh, of, of doing that so what what was that like for you? So
1: um, what was it like? It was the most emotionally draining thing to like know that you are fighting for what you truly believe in as educators, right? um, smaller class size. And so just so you have an idea as a social worker, we still fall under the teacher's union. So I am still under contract as like a teacher, um, as well as all of my other colleagues that are clinicians across the board in the district plus teachers. Um, and so it was like smaller class size, um, (laughs) better schools. Uh, we, wanted more um, sustainable concrete language and um, projects to help our um, STLS students in transitional living services so Our um, unhoused student population. We have a significant number. Um, we fought and won for a school social worker, a one-to-one ratio in every school, which has increased our numbers within my district to over 600. And to put it this way, when I started in CPS, I was one of like 200-something social workers. So to see that number just explode. Um, A nurse in every school building every day, um, a one-to-one nurse to a school because finding a nurse at a school in CPS is considered a unicorn and a miracle. Um, (laughs) Yeah, they have like five or six schools that they report to throughout the week. So it's like a whole thing. Um, And then trying to find language on supports to, to better strengthen special education policies. Um, I mean, there was, it's a wide range, but that was basically what we were trying to fight for. How do we gain a contract that is equitable for us as educators, but also we're bargaining for the common good um, for the students and the families of Chicago. And I think that's kind of like where the heart of it was when you look at a lot of it, people, like if you look at a lot of news articles and stuff, There's a lot of confusion because we were technically offered the maximum raise um, before the strike even started from the mayor. Uh, But at that time, we were unable to bargain over work environment, basically. It was just over salary. And that was like a state law that we had to fight and change. Um, And it is changed now. We We can bargain over these other areas that impact our schools. But at the time, it was like we as a district of employees did not want to accept a salary raise unless it included other words and benefits um that strengthened the the actual school buildings that we were in so that was that um and so which that makes, was like, which
0: makes sense because it doesn't matter how much money you make if your building is is, is, is crap or, <laughs> you know. um,
1: i mean like to put it this way we had to have it we had to like argue with them to allow students in preschool to take naps if they were in a full day program, even though that's considered like a state law mandate. Just to give you a frame of reference there um, for some of the things. And then, so this, so that was what we were striking for. It was 11 days. Um, That's just a whole range of things. And then we continued on um, to go back into our school buildings. And we all kind of like thought we were in this like routine, right? You get through winter break. You're like, great. We're, we're back. We're at the second half of the year. Um, and then we were sent home on the 14th or 15th. It was like a Friday and I'll never remember. I'll never forget it. Um, because we were all convinced that there was no way we were going to be shut down. We knew that we have a that the teachers union and the district has kind of a contentious relationship because the mayor and the strike and everything. And so we were all like, she's not going to shut us down. This is not going to be a thing. Um, The other districts in the state of Illinois were starting to say, we're going to go remote for two weeks. And we were being told that we were reporting. It didn't matter. Um, And then the governor had to pull um, a state mandate that moved us all remote for two weeks because we – we're going to be going in regardless of what other ah. districts are doing um and to give a frame of reference so my highest boss is actually the mayor i am she we do not have a school elected um or like a
0: superintendent
1: so we we don't have one of a superintendent we have a ceo um but the ceo is appointed by the mayor and we do not have um an elected school board it is all appointed mm. by the mayor. We, this past year, had to do a lot of organizing. Well, it's been a long sustained argument and um, battle through uh, Illinois policy and law to get it so that we will have a school elect um, an elected school board mm. uh, and it'll be like an evolving thing. But for now, it's all mayoral controlled. And so she makes those final decisions, um, which is why when you bring up Lori Light, but it is always just an interesting kind of thing because- <laughs> The teachers union and her don't get along. You can Google it. It's a whole thing. Um, And yeah, and so the the governor shut us down for two weeks. We went home under the impression that we were going to be gone for two weeks. They extended it to spring break. And then like, we basically never went back. We didn't get any guidance on how to work with kids. Like we weren't even initially as a district allowed to work with kids um, remotely because it was just such a foreign thing. Right. And then it was, you could do group stuff, but you couldn't be in one-on-one with a Zoom for a student. So as a social worker, it was really hard because some of my students I do see individually. Then we were given permissions to do that. And it was just kind of like this evolving thing through the end of that school year of 1920. Um, And then we started remote for 2021. And we were remote all the way up through winter break. And then we started a slow wave, which also led to some work actions. Um, of withholding labor as a union to make it so that we were given access because we were told to report in buildings for our most um, fragile and complex students. Um, So our students that were in those significantly modified curriculum classrooms were told to report as well as preschool students. um, And this was before vaccines were readily available to any educators. And so we were going in and I mean, yes, the intention was to have them masked, but the reality is if anyone who works with Students with cognitive impairments and disabilities, (laughs) or a preschool kid, you know, trying to get them all to wear masks during that time was different. Yes. So, yeah, so that's how it went. And then we had a slow and gradual phase back to everybody coming back in person. And we started in person um, for the school year 21 22. Yeah, so we were remote from March 2020 up until for the majority of kids in CPS up until March of 2021. So we were we were remote for a full twelve months. Wow, mm-hmm. and that included like summer summer programming and summer
0: school. Uh, that that's you no know, fascinating, but that's the reality of of everything. And so you got my struggles were were the kindergartners and first graders. They came in and it was like, <laughs> and a lot of it because of. Like you mentioned before, like not really having that pre-K because or experience, or they did and it was shut down for, mm-hmm. whether, whether it be for COVID or whatever reasons, and they coming in without those, those initial skills. skills
1: that, yeah, those foundational,
0: those foundational skills. Foundational skills and and it was just <laughs> they Wild ran they ran they ran to school. <laughs>
1: they were excited about it which was great but it was like teaching all of those kids but then also teaching older students like how to be back in a building yeah we had jokes all the time we would have like third fourth and fifth graders and they would just stand up in the middle of class and walk out of the room and teachers would be like like no behavior like it was just like they would just stand up and walk out right the teacher would be like where where are you going and, oh, I'm going to the bathroom. But they were so used to just turning their camera off and like walking to the
0: right. bathroom that they
1: were like, <laughs> "Oh, I didn't even think that I had to like tell you I was going to the bathroom." <laughs> so like, even like that small stuff, like like yeah. that, had nothing to do with behavior. We were like, we are just starting from scratch here for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that's,
0: wow. that's funny, but but that but that's but that's real though.
1: Was, yeah, our kids would be like, "Why can't I have a snack?" And- <laughs> God, you just ate. Why do you need a snack right now? Like, that is why. Um, so, just, I mean, hilarious. Like, some of that stuff is, you, you have to laugh at it. Otherwise, you're just going to cry through all of it. But yeah, I mean, yeah. just getting back to it was hilarious. And it was a struggle. And I think we're still kind of, you know, working through that. Cause even last year, we had all of the different quarantines. If you tested positive, right? Like, if a whole class, you know, anyone who was unvaccinated, we, and stuff like that and so I mean it was just like the spectrum of trying to get kids trying to teach kids the stability of a school building when we really had none so yeah
0: yeah it's, uh <laughs> a very interesting time and shout out to again everybody who works yeah. in a school um I you know I didn't my year and a half and i did a whole episode about it i'm retired from social <laughs> <torture> work <laughs> uh you know it's not for me and and i think that's something no, I, I had to learn uh and and that's for for anybody in the field like hey just do it and if you like it great kudos to you If you don't like it or well, that now you know a few mm-hmm. not a few not to get it get into uh, and so it took 21 years, 20 years. And it was like, okay, that's not, it's not for me. I did it. And it's, is it's just not. And I know I looked up in the sky every day, like, look, like, like ma, I don't know how you did 15 years. <laughs> I did. <laughs> for sure. So, um, you know, you mentioned a, a couple of, um, you know, neighborhoods in Chicago and, uh, Despite all the all the violence that you know we see and hear, Chicago is a fascinating, uh, hot real estate, uh, market and in certain areas that it was like high, I think you mentioned Highland Park, like, uh, or uh, one of the one of the highlands or, or
1: there is a, a Highland f- Park, but that's just outside the city. But there's okay. Hyde Park in the city, yes. Which yeah. Like uh, it's like where the University of Chicago is. Basically. yeah so
0: I, I, I and uh Obama's doing like a, a library ar- around there so
1: that's a little further south yeah that's Jackson Park but yeah that's that those are all kind of in the same area on the south side there
0: for sure yeah so it's basically areas of being like gentrified and being all nice and pretty and and even um you know, the Chicago Bears for the sports fans they you know they're stadium I, I saw on linkedin they're talking about renovating it again i mean it was just renovated a, a couple years ago and, and trying to make it like is it like they're trying to build, build like a mall next to it and, and like connect it to the subway station like i guess I, I saw Something the design like
1: I'm, not, I'm not too sure what they're trying to do because it's also like literally right on the lake um so like i don't even i don't know like what they're planning to try and do um but yeah they there is talk about that and if you haven't seen the renovations it's very obvious of what they added when they first renovated because it looks like there's a spaceship that landed on top of soldier fields and that's how you know that they renovated it so I'm not sure what else they're going to contribute to this but yes well you make fun of it it looks like (laughs) the the, the, the arena so
0: (laughs) <laughs> but 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 you know, my point my point is like you know we have these neighborhoods being you know, transformed and, and, and we got you know you mentioned having uh, peers from different parts of the city and you working as a district uh, social worker so you kind of you know you're seeing that kind of like real time uh, all the transitions and uh, gentrification and and that plays into dynamics. Uh, working inside the school buildings like like how how was that how was that like for you working
1: yeah I think it's really interesting um the gentrification that happens in the city it comes really fast in certain neighborhoods and like Mm so in a matter of years you see entire communities change um it's really interesting when you start to see the gentrification kind of work its way through and you look at a school and the third, fourth, fifth, like the third through eighth graders, all of the students and families are like from what the neighborhood originally looked like, right? And they're um, typically, you know, uh, black and brown families that have lived in these areas. And then you look at like the kindergarten and the first grade, and it's like a bunch of families that are like now white. Um, And like, you have this conversation of like, as the years go by, you see all of these, families as the, the kids graduate like phase out but you start to see more and more of these white families phase in right. um and it's a very interesting thing because Chicago for us for it being so segregated right um you're starting to see where these areas are are, are really just losing some of their um community and then you see whoo, you see all of the other kind of things that impact that um and there's a podcast also about new york um and it's like i think it's nice white parents or something like that it was a great podcast but it talks about how these families come in to these schools that are community based neighborhood schools and they 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 have the best of intentions And they want to provide all of these resources, they want to fundraise, they want to do all of this stuff, and they have the connections to do that, except the families that were from the original neighborhood, like, don't necessarily get to participate in the fundraisers, because they can't afford the tickets, or they can't Mm -hmm. do things, and um, we see that in Chicago as well, where you have like all of these really great ideas, but then it doesn't like trickle down so that everybody in the community can participate. Right. Um, and then you only see gentrification in certain areas. And so mm-hmm. you only see certain, certain schools in certain areas start to get access to better resources. And it's all driven by money. Um, so some of those hallmark, you know, neighborhoods that you hear about that have often, you know, been overlooked and underfinanced and not given enough resources, they're still the food deserts that we hear about. Um, they still don't have access to the same quality of care and educational materials. And it has nothing to do with parents not caring or not wanting it, but they just don't have the means to fundraise for it, to make it, to make it happen. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So you'll have a school that's got like, every kid gets a new Chromebook every year. And then you'll have schools that are like, we've been using the same textbooks for the last five years because like, we just don't have it in the budget to get new ones or something.
0: Yeah, it's 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 really fascinating. Like a big, you know, seeing these big cities and you're seeing gentrification that's happening, and then you see like this, you mentioned the redlining, um, and you see that the redlining that's been ha- that happened like years ago, how it still affects certain cities to to this day. And um, I really, and it's funny because you don't, I know for me, like I didn't even hear about like redlining until I would say twenty nineteen twenty twenty um and learning about beginning to learn about real estate and and mm-hmm. my, myself wanting to uh you know move which I eventually did you know moving out of state and kind of like seeing that hearing about that and hear about different cities throughout the country you know being redlined and zoned the way it's zoned and race yep. has a huge huge thing about it and just hearing about Chicago, like the, the, the different pockets of, of neighborhoods that the housing market is like ex, exploding and it's like talking million dollar homes and, and neighborhoods and different things. And, and like the neighborhoods is completely changed. So it's, it's very, very fascinating to see. And, and, and I've been bringing up real estate a little bit on because we have, you no know, for anybody who works in housing, social workers who work in housing, do case management for uh, people with, that deal with housing. So uh, kind of you know, bringing back into like the social work aspect of, of why that that's important or, or working in, in schools. Cause I think that was another frustrating thing because I've always worked in case management and doing home visits and stuff and working mm-hmm. in a school is like, what is going on at home that you act in this way and you, yeah. and, you, and, you and you can't, there was no way to really find out like what exactly is going on at home, but something's going on somewhere and not not able to really that, that missing piece to, to try to put the puzzle together.
1: For sure. And within Chicago, we used to have a lot of housing developments, like a ton throughout the city, but they were all located in very specific areas. Um, And there was like one or two on the North side and now like it doesn't exist anymore. So everybody is, that is in, um, like section eight and stuff like that, like it's very difficult to find those houses. Um, and or like a like a home development that you can live in because they're all in one, they're all in very specific areas. And, you know, we all know the the fine line between education and social work and policy and money is um your property taxes go towards mm-hmm. the schools. And so more property taxes in an area versus less, then how does that how do we think it's going to play out um on top of what's happening in the homes of our students you know and it it doesn't that doesn't mean that in certain areas that are more affluent there's not things happening in those homes that can impact a kid but it's you really have to look at all of the different pieces to to really be able to support a student um in a school and how do we how do we meet that need
0: day in and day
1: out when yeah there's only for us, technically you're paid for 6.25 hours of work and that's it. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really is a lot. And there's a lot of layers and there's only so much one person could do it's only so much, you know, kind of like community kind of do is like, you're fighting systems within systems and, and what of. The fight is worth it, but it's like you really have to peel those layers off, and, and sometimes, you know, you lose more than, than than you win. But those wins are like extra satisfying, and you no, know, but you guys know, picketing and, and going on strike, and you know you, you're you're showing your worth by by doing that, and like better working conditions and just overall care because you guys need that like we we still like I said earlier we're still dealing with the aftermath of the pandemic like COVID is still out there there's RSV there's regular cold and flu season like this weather is like (laughs) ridiculous like it doesn't know what it wants to do when we turn to the next so like all these like cold and flu viruses that existed before COVID like it's still out there and we kind of took it for granted and it's like Mm -hmm. we got to take care of ourselves.
1: <laughs> yeah. Zero out of 10 recommend getting a flu. I had it like two last week. Yeah. And I was out, I missed two days of work because I was, I was that sick. So yeah, you've got to learn how to advocate and fight for that, but you also have to learn how to take care of yourself and how do you learn to take care of yourself when you by nature are willing to go to such lengths to try and advocate for the people around you. So yeah, it's, a, it's walking a fine line all the time.
0: Uh, another thing that that often on uh, I hear about the news in Chicago is the um the drugs that that's been happening and I know uh Mr El, El Chapo had a a lot to do with with, with, with that um with the insurgents of, of drugs and of course now um uh, fentanyls like kind of taking like national attention but you know and mixing with anything from marijuana to like anything and then the dangers of that, like what are you seeing in, in terms of in terms of the drugs in, in Chicago?
1: Um, I think substance use is it ranges, right? Uh, I don't see it as much in my students. I do have a couple of students that we have had to have some conversations about the choices that they make in terms of using drugs and stuff like that. Um, The high school setting is a very, very different experience. I have colleagues that they're just like, we get kids that are experimenting or regularly using drugs. Um, But I think across the board too, like we do see parents, right, of some of our students and family members. And sometimes the kids will come to school and talk about it. Um, It's definitely there. It's definitely real. Uh, I I would be lying if I said that I've never encountered a parent that was under the influence of a substance that was controlled when they came to school, right. For even like a meeting when we're talking about their kid and like what their kid needs. Um, I think that it, it speaks to a larger issue of what is accessible in certain communities and how they're accessible and why people even kind of get into those habits to begin with, um, which is a very layered conversation, but yeah, we, we see the use. Um, I do not see it as much in the elementary school setting. And if I do, it is, um, controlled substances for students under the age of 18 for the most part. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely something that we are constantly talking about as a district and how do you identify and then work with students if like we're realizing that there really is a substance, um, like a substance abuse concern and, you know, finding resources, and creating resources for ourselves to know how to like work with that. Um, and I think we, we've had to learn a lot of those things. I think another like one that a lot of us have been talking about lately is like also like disordered eating mm. and how to work with that too. Um, and it was something that like we, we've we always kind of had to encounter, but it's it's definitely becoming just more and more prevalent with the impacts of social media and stuff like that. And how do you work and identify with students who are kind of engaging in some of those things? Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's is 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 you no know, having two kids of my own is like it is scary. Like everything, like these kids are are kind of like seeing and kind of try to limit what they seem Like I was at their age, like it was like nothing, nothing like yeah. this. And yeah, uh, I grew up in a. Yeah, high bridge, one one of the, the okay. most poorest poorest uh, districts in, in in the country, one of the poorest, and it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I saw syringes, I saw like you know mm-hmm. vials of when crack cocaine was first prevalent, but and of course, you know, occasional gunshots here and there, but like I never want like to go out anyway, so I was always in the house and kind of kept my distance and stuff and and kept my nose clean and and but kids nowadays with with social media and it's like you know pen, the struggles of the pandemic that we all struggling now with and the aftermath and just bullying and through different apps and like do you see like oh, no, between TikTok and, and Snapchat and any other apps that that's out there and like kind of like having beef over that and kind of like translate to the school and then you're finding out what it is and it was like that's yep. it's mind-boggling.
1: <laughs> yeah, I love when my students are like, but it was on Snapchat, so it's gone. And I'm like, I don't know why anybody thinks that something on the internet is gone in 24 hours. Like they can find it. <laughs> um, Yeah, I the social media is, it's a special, special thing. I think it's very interesting for me too, because I am 31 years old. And so I, when I was in middle school, like sixth grade, I remember my space coming out. And so like, I grew up with the evolution of mm-hmm. social media. And now I see my students as young as like third grade making TikToks and stuff like that. And you're like, oh my God, like there's just such different levels to it. There's a different level of connection for students, both good and bad, I think yes. in certain ways. Um, And then it's also like, we have to do a lot of parent education, right? Mm-hmm. Like Parents are constantly like, well, I don't know what that app is. I'm like okay well we need to figure out what this app is like we need to know what it is Yeah. Um, like even Roblox and like Minecraft right like super popular with kids there's also a way where you can like chat with people that are just like on the internet and so like you think your kid is playing a game that's like very like a cute little game or whatever Mm -hmm. but like could be connecting with someone that would be considered a predator yes. and how do you like teach them and how do you put enough safety security measures in and just like, you know, with TikTok, like the algorithm will spit out whatever is there. And so like, how do you censor that? How do you, yeah. I, I don't envy, I don't envy parents at this point <laughs> <laughs> in raising kids because the social media thing, it's, it is there. And I, I mean, I've had, friends who have kids and they're like my my kid feels like they're less than because they don't have a cell phone but they're in like third grade or fourth grade mm. but it's considered to be like weird to not have a cell phone and access to yeah. all of them yeah
0: yeah no, I I'm experiencing that <laughs> currently so I, I, nice. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I lost my I lost my train of thought but no is it's really You mentioned MySpace. Don't know who MySpace. Don't know what MySpace is. Google it. Like it was a fascinating, fascinating sign. You just had to be there. (laughs) But I I love, I love MySpace because you learn how to code and like people. Like that's that's like the beginnings
1: out of MySpace. You can't.
0: <laughs> uh, and, but that was like the original, like kind of like online drama. Like, like why are you not? Why I'm not in your top eight? Top eight, yes. <laughs> or people
1: would change their top eight to a top four. Why you need a top four? Like, what is this? Um, why did you change your song to this this day? What happened? Like, I mean, there was there was a lot that went into the MySpace era that was just underappreciated. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's all changed and like Instagram having finstas, TikTok, Snapchat, Twitter all of that fun stuff
0: yeah now, stuff. it's twitch and Twitch. yes the it's slack and it's, yeah. every day this is like some new thing i learned something every day and it's like what is that
1: no <laughs> that's like the new one
0: which one what's it called
1: be real
0: what is the that
1: is no i'm not gonna do it any justice and my friends that are in like content creation are gonna be like that's how you did this um it's an in real time picture that does not allow you to do filters or anything like that. So like you have to like, whatever you're doing in the moment that like you basically get the notification that you can post is like what is posted and you can't like make it, you can't like filter it or like try to make it like pretty or anything. So you're just being real. So it's called Be Real. Um,
0: well, I, don't... Yeah, I think I've heard of that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not too familiar with it, but it's a thing. It's like the latest Social media connection, picture app thing, content creation thing.
0: Yeah, it's, it's 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 too many to to, to keep track. And mm. when I do my own content creation, I was like, it's just yeah. it's just too much.
1: No, I, I feel you.
0: <laughs> I'm running this account plus my business account, i try to come up with something. And it's like it's it's too much. No, no. no. <laughs> Uh, where, where can people find you?
1: Um, so I have a personal Instagram account and it is at a fabulous life, A F A B A L Y S L I F E. Um, and it is a very honest and real portrayal of just my life in general, but then I also do post things about different activities that I do with students. Um, you know, like different ideas and different ways that I set up my room, how we engage in therapy with people and just like kind of that overall thing. So it's it's a junk thing. Um, I have not moved over into a complete professional um, space yet. I am getting there, but you can find it under the same username on Twitter and then on Instagram at the same time. Mm-hmm.
0: Cool, Awesome. Yeah. Keep up the great work. Yeah. uh i'll be praying for you to get to oh, get to you, june yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then
1: if, um if anybody is ever interested in school social work they can also free, feel free to reach out and talk to me about that looks like um if they have any more direct questions but yeah thank you so much for having me it was great
0: nah, absolutely All right.